Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, good morning uh, again. Great to see you. We're in a series now called Kingdom Come, and each week we're, we're looking at parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. And one of the things we've seen in this series is that when Jesus came, he actually had a really big mission. And, and sometimes we think Jesus' mission was just to bring forgiveness of sin, and, and of course he did come to bring that. That is amazing and wonderful. And if that's all he did, as I've said before, I would be forever grateful and I would do backflips if I could do backflips. I would, I would, you know, that's, that's amazing. But actually it turns out that that's just the beginning because he actually came to bring the kingdom of God. And last week we defined that as the rule and reign of God. And, and if you look at Jesus' ministry, you'll see that his central message was actually the proclamation of the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's like it's like right there, like you can reach out and touch it. And so the question that raises is how do you live in light of that? If Jesus brought the kingdom, as we said last week, it's not here fully, but in part, Jesus brought the kingdom. And so the question is how do we live in light of that? How are we to respond? And so we're looking at these parables to kind of answer that question. And as we've seen that these parables are spoken in the context of of a move of God's kingdom. Jesus came and he's not only proclaiming the kingdom, but he's also demonstrating. He's bringing healing and and hope and salvation. It's like the kingdom of God is just flowing through his life, through his ministry. And, And as we talked about last week, even here in our midst, we see kingdom seeds stirring among us. And so the question is, how do we live in light of that? So today we're looking at two more parables, and if you blink, you can miss them. (laughs) They're very brief, very concise, just three verses, but they pack a powerful punch. And so I'm just excited to look at these together, and we're looking at the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl, sometimes known as the pearl of great price. And But before we look at these together, uh, let me just ask you a, a, a question, just to kind of set this up. What would you give your life for? Think about that. Like, what, what would you give your life for? And, and the reality is we all give our lives for something, whether we think of it that way or not, whether that's for career or success or for money or for approval or security. We, we all give our lives for something. And, and so what is that for you? And one of the questions these parables confront us with is, is it really worth it? Because as we're going to see, Jesus is telling us here, there's actually only one thing that is truly worth giving your life for. But it might not be what you think. And so we're going to look at these parables together. And I want to do sort of a first pass. And as we go, I want to note some things about the historical context, just so we can really understand what Jesus is saying here. So let me read these verses again. This is Matthew, Matthew, yeah, uh, chapter 13, 44 through 46. And this is Jesus speaking. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So so two stories 
two parables, and the first talks about a man who found treasure hidden in a field. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of a, a random story, or maybe that's kind of, you know, far, far-fetched, but actually, uh, Jesus' first hearers actually would have understood this story. This wouldn't have seemed like some, I don't know, some ridiculous story, because think about this. Back in the day, uh, they didn't have a local Wells Fargo branch, Right? They, they didn't have city bank. They didn't have banks. So that means they didn't have bank accounts. They didn't have safety deposit boxes. So what would you do with your money? What would you do with your wealth? Well, you hid it, right? And so typically you would hide it in your house. But what happens if an army's marching your way? What happens if there's a band of raiders marauding through the area, which these things happen, right? And so what people would do is they would go and they would take their the most valued possessions and they would bury it. Right, and they would hope that they would survive whatever was coming their way, so they could come back and get it. But sometimes, actually, oftentimes, they wouldn't survive. And so, guess what? There's actually treasure hidden in the field. And so, sometimes people might be there. I don't know. I'm out plowing, and then all of a sudden, wait, what? There's like a, a jar full of coins. Oh my goodness, you know. And and so these this wouldn't have been like a far fetched, you know, I don't know, kind of crazy scenario for Jesus here is that this is actually something that happened, okay? So, so that's, that's one thing that's really important to know. And so, so this story, the first one's about this guy. He's most likely a farm worker. We can tell that, that he, he, he's not a man of means. Uh, he's working in a field, and he finds this, this treasure. Again, maybe he's plowing, and he, there's like this, again, the jar of coins or something, and he's like, oh my goodness, buried treasure. And so he hides it again, and one of the ways we know he's not wealthy is that he has to sell everything he has to buy this little piece of land, okay? But it says in his joy, he went and sold all he had. So even though he had to liquidate everything he owns, his record collection, his comic book collection, whatever he owns, you know, whatever that is for you, like even though he had to liquidate all of that, he knew that this was greater worth than anything else he had. And, and the second parable is very similar, the parable of the pearl, and it's important for us to know that pearls back then, uh, maybe we're used to kind of like fake pearls and we think, what's the big deal? But no, like pearls back then, especially there's real pearls today which are valuable, but then even back then, they're worth even more. So for example, uh, I was reading that Cleopatra had a pearl that was valued at 25 million denarii. Now a denarius was a day's wage. So think about that. That's around a $4 billion pearl. Think about that. I've never heard of any single stone or pearl in our day that was worth that much. That, that, that's what we're talking about here. And so Jesus says there's a pearl merchant, somebody who understands, obviously this is someone who understood what a good pearl was, uh, and, and he sees one that's better by light years than any other. And so he knows he has to scrape up everything, liquidate everything, sell everything. It doesn't matter. He knows that it is absolutely worth it because he's getting so much more than what he is giving up. Okay, so that's to give you a sense of kind of the, the, the context here that, that Jesus hears would have understood as, as they heard these stories for the first time. Now, just a, a brief word on parables. As we've talked about, these are not literal stories. So uh, Jesus isn't talking about literal pearls or literal treasure. This, this is a metaphor. Uh, parables are metaphors that, that poetically point to a reality beyond themselves. And then they then challenge us to live differently in light of that. Okay, and, and so now that we have some understanding of, of the context, let's just take a, a closer look. And there are really two main points here. It's kind of simple, uh, but we'll just, I want to unpack this together. 
Uh, and, and so the first point here is, is the surpassing worth. I, I, I drew that language from the Philippians passage we read. So Jesus is telling us about the surpassing worth of something. What is it? Well, well, the first parable talks about treasure. The second talks about this amazing pearl. In other words, items of tremendous worth, and which led the farmer and which led the merchant to give up, to sell everything they had just to get this. But as we said, again, they're, they're, they're parables, so this, these are metaphors. So he's not talking about literal treasure. He's not talking about literal pearls. So what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling us about the surpassing worth of the kingdom of God. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So his point is about the surpassing worth of the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes we only focus on the truth of the kingdom, but what Jesus is really kind of focusing on here is really the worth of the kingdom. We need the truth of the kingdom, but we can't miss the value, the worth of the kingdom, and that this is something we should long for and be willing to do anything for. But let me just throw a quote in here. James K. Smith, he says this, really profound. He says, discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus doesn't want you just to assent to certain truths about him. He wants you to be captured by a vision of the greatness of the kingdom of God, to not just acknowledge it, to not just say, ah, you know, that's cool, but to long for it and be willing to do anything for that, to really perceive the surpassing worth and value of the kingdom of God. Because without that, you simply will not respond in the way he intends. But the guys in these parables, they, they saw the worth. They, they perceived the greatness, the beauty of what was before them. Now what's interesting uh, is that even though the farmer and the merchant came across something worth more than anything else in the entire world, not everyone saw it, right? Because I mean, we can, it, it, you know, probably many, many people kind of passed by that same plot of ground and never bothered to look at the treasure that was right at their feet. Or think of this pearl, probably countless people had handled or at least seen this pearl, never realizing what they had right in front of them. And so uh, even though the kingdom has surpassing worth, there's also a sense that it can be hidden like this treasure in the field. It's not going to force itself on you. But somehow, these guys saw it. It's like they, they had an epiphany and perhaps some of you are having an epiphany today, or maybe you will today, that somehow, like, maybe God, God's word will just kind of come alive for you. It's like there'll be, like, an aha moment, and, like, the penny will drop, and you will see something you haven't seen before about the beauty of God and his kingdom. And if so, just know that that's God revealing himself to you. It's him wanting to draw you close, to draw you into his kingdom life. Uh, but the first point is the surpassing worth of the kingdom of God. Now, you might wonder, well, why is the kingdom worth so much? I mean, that, that's, that's a fair question. And there are different angles I could take to try to uh, unpack this, but I'll, here, here's the angle I'll take today. Uh, think of it like this. 
the kingdom of God, as we've seen, is nothing less than, than, than the dynamic rule and reign of God. In other words, this is God at work. This is where uh, what God wants done is done. And so it's not surprising that the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, he, he sums it up like this. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Now, sometimes we can think the kingdom is just talk, right? And if that's all you think it is, and sometimes in church we don't know, because sometimes we just talk, 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 talk. And so if all you think the kingdom is is talk, you're going to be like, okay, shrug your shoulders. Meh. Whatever. Because what? Talk is cheap, right? You know how many spam calls I get each day, people trying to sell me something? Talk is so cheap. I mean, in our culture, we're surrounded by all these different options and all these different political ideologies and all these different belief systems. It's just talk is so cheap, right? But what you have to know is the kingdom of God is not just, it's at least talk, but it's so much more than talk. It's actually, Paul says, it's a matter of power. What power? The power of God at work to change human lives. The power of God at work to change even societies. That is the kingdom of God. It is God's dynamic rule and reign. It's God's God on the move where God wants done is done. And so in light of that, that's why this is worth everything. And I know I realize, like, okay, that's still kind of abstract. So I'm going to put some, some meat on this just to make this more, I don't know, just give you an imagination uh, of what it can look like when the kingdom of God breaks out, not just in individual lives, but even in a community, because that's what we long to see. We don't, the kingdom's not, we don't want it just for us. We want to see the world, the kingdom come here on earth, right? So I want to share a story just to give you an imagination. This encouraged me so much. Uh, this past year, I, I heard a guy speak who... Um, as uh, a friend of an acquaintance of mine. He's a pastor in New York City. And back in the 1990s, he started a youth ministry. Uh, and, and through that, it's like the kingdom of God just broke out. And this was in Brooklyn and Queens uh, in the late 1990s. So this wasn't the Brooklyn you might think of today. This was pre-gentrification. This was, this was the height of the crack epidemic. This was a, a rough, 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 rough deal. And, 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 but the kingdom of God broke out. And, and, and what happened was it's like, the kingdom of God w- 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 was, was, was moving with such force, it's like kids would line up, kids from some of the roughest neighborhoods, they'd be lined up around this building trying to get into this youth ministry as though this was like some elite club. And, and the kingdom of God was breaking out with such force, just even without <laughs> Adam even having to say anything at times, people just under the conviction of the Holy Spirit would just walk up to the front of the room, drop their gang colors, drop their weapons, drop their drugs, and lay down their lives before Jesus Christ. And so they had to get this plexiglass box to hold all this stuff. And one day there's there so much response that it literally broke. It literally broke. It was so filled with this stuff. And, and, and then the local precinct noticed that there's like a change happening in the community. And so they did a study, and they found that there was a drop in crime directly proportional to the number of kids coming to this ministry. This was written up in the New York Times. This eventually was featured in The Source, which if you know hip-hop, this is like at least was the magazine. So imagine you've got Notorious B.I.G. on the cover, late 90s, a few pages in. You've got this, this write-up on this ministry in Brooklyn and Queens and what? And there's like photos like these kids just on their face before God. Like what in the world? That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. That's God on the move. And so for me, I'm like, how could you not want that? How could you not be willing to give your life for that? For me, I'm like, I'm, I'm all in. And, and just to tie this to uh, where uh, we are as a church, I mean, you have to know that that's why we planted this church. We never planted, this church has never been about having a church in the sense of a building or an institution. It's never been about a, a worship preference or a, anything. It's been about, always been a kingdom, the kingdom of God. We want to be an outpost. We want to be a beachhead of the kingdom of God to see the kingdom of God touch and change lives, starting with us, because <laughs> you can't give what you don't have, <laughs> but then to spread 
and to touch countless lives in the cities uh, around us. That's always what we've been about. And so that just wanted, like, I just want to always just drive that stake in the ground anytime I get an opportunity. Because in the words of John Ortberg, I love how he says this, the kingdom of God is, is, is uh, God bring up there, down here. <laughs> That's what he wants to do. He wants to bring up there, down here. And, and Jesus will be about that until he finishes that job. And, but he wants us to be part of that. And he wants us to long for that. It's not just acknowledge it and kind of go about our lives. He just actually wants us to see, though, this is actually worth more than anything else. This is actually worth your life. And so that's, that's really just this, this, this image of this, the surpassing worth of, of the kingdom of God. And the farmer and the merchant, they, they, they saw this. And, and what that led to was joy. And interestingly, even before they possessed it, they just saw it. They just perceived it. And that filled them, it says, actually with joy. It was actually joy that propelled their response. So just maybe to give you an illustration, suppose you go uh, stop by a gas station after church, you know, your car is low on gas, so you stop by the gas station. What do you notice? You get out of your car, and, and there's like a lotto ticket on the ground. You're like, huh, that's strange. You pick it up, take a look, and thinking, oh, what are the odds? But just for fun, I'm going to check the numbers. Okay, so you get, you know, Google it on your phone. Or whatever. What do you know? It's a winning jackpot ticket. What, I mean, what would your response be? I would have some joy. I, don't know, I, I, I would have some joy. Like, woohoo! You know? I don't know. I, you know, I, would, I, I, would, I would find a way to do a backflip at that point. <laughs> but you see, that's the kind of response, again, they just saw something that was so worth everything that they, were, they would do anything. That's a, that propelled uh, the, this, this response. Let's talk about that. Really, the second point is the response uh, to the greatness uh, of the kingdom. So again, they, they discover the treasure or, or the pearl leads to this joy. And then we read the response. Let me just read these parables again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You see, the, the kingdom's coming is such profound Good news. It is something of such infinite worth that the only rational response is to be willing to lose everything you have in order to gain it. Jesus is saying that is the only reasonable response in light of the worth, the surpassing worth of the kingdom of God. And so here's how I'll put it just to kind of give us something to, to, to frame this with. The only rational response Jesus is saying in light of the surpassing worth of the kingdom is to go all in. If you've played poker, it might be a familiar term. So, 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 so what does that mean? So if you're playing poker, and either if you have like this amazing hand, in other words, hand of cards, or at least if you want people to think <laughs> you have an amazing hand, one thing you can do is you can go all in. What that means is you take all your chips, everything you have in the game of poker, and you slide it into the center. And you say, all in. And what the, that means is you've literally have nothing left. You're all in. You're betting all your chips on this one hand. I think that's just the perfect image of what the guys in these parables did. They went all in. And so that raises a question. What does it mean to go all in for the kingdom? What does that look like to go all in for the kingdom of God? Because that's the response Jesus is calling for. So what does that look like? Okay, so let's, let's kind of try to unpack this. And I want to share, I don't know, just maybe a few kind of nuances or a few facets of what this involves. And the first thing is this. It means we stop settling. It means we stop settling. There's an old book entitled, Give Up Your Small Ambitions. <laughs> now, sometimes we think ambition is bad. Actually, biblically, 
Uh, no. Well, worldly ambition, that is bad, but ambition as such is actually not bad. But So think of how many people move to Southern California with ambition. Either they want to get a great education, or they want to land in a really, uh, a really amazing career, or they want to make a difference uh, in, in the world. The problem isn't ambition. The problem is when it's too small. The problem is when you give your life to something less, something that is not worth your life. Jesus is saying there is something, however, that is worth all your ambition, that is worth your life. And what that is, is the kingdom of God. I have to include this quote from E. Stanley Jones. He says, if you don't surrender to God, don't think you don't surrender. Everybody surrenders to something. You see, we all are giving our lives to something. We all have an ambition that's pointed towards something. Jesus is saying, the only thing that makes sense is to point that toward the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to, uh, I don't know, like quit your job or drop out of school and become a monk or a, a nun or an overseas missionary or something. But what that does mean, you take all your lesser ambitions and you unite that, let that be subsumed un- under this ambition for the kingdom of God. That is really the call. Uh, the first thing it means, it's to stop settling for lesser ambitions. Here's the second thing it means to go all in for the kingdom. And it means total surrender. Emphasis on the word total. Um, the kingdom message isn't, hey, the kingdom has, has come near. Therefore, you might want to dabble with Christianity a little bit. The kingdom announcement isn't, you know, the kingdom has come. Therefore, you know, maybe do a little more good stuff, a little less bad stuff. The, the kingdom message, no, it's a call for total surrender. In, in Matthew four seventeen, Jesus says, repent. In other words, completely rethink your life. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance is, is, is not a matter of degree. It's an absolute rethinking of your life and then reorienting your life in light of the coming of the kingdom of God. It's not just a little tweak. It's not just like, oh, maybe I did a little Jesus on top of an otherwise secular life. It's not just a little, you know, little, little tweak here. Or there. It's to, to completely rethink and reorient your life in light of the kingdom. It is total surrender. It is all or nothing. Like poker, the only way to go all in is to literally go all in, total surrender. Uh, and and, and that, what that means is there's no area of life where you would say to God, you can't touch this. There's no area of life where you'd say, okay, God, I'll let you in here, I'll let you in here. But this, this is me. No, no, no. Total surrender. Now, I understand there's a sense of risk in that, right? The sense of vulnerability in that. Like, God, if I, you ever play that trust fall game? as a kid, maybe a summer camp or something, where it's like you're standing on some like wood platform and you're standing there and say, okay, we're standing behind you. We're going to catch you. Uh, close your eyes <laughs> and fall back. Now, there's some YouTube videos where this goes wrong, right? Uh, you've seen those, right? <laughs> but what God's saying is that you can trust me. You can fall back, total surrender, and I will catch you. That, 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 that is what he's saying. And, and that is actually, this is, and actually what he's saying is like, this is actually the deal of a lifetime. So think about this. Suppose you're driving a, a Ford Pinto and uh, if, you're, if, if, you're too, if you're too young to know what that is, Google it and you'll get this illustration. Um, <laughs> suppose you're driving a Ford Pinto and I don't know, you go to Target for whatever. And so you, you, you drive up and you park next to this really nice car. Like, wow, this is a cool car. Maybe I'll take a photo of like a selfie with this thing. And, 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 and you, you notice though, that's strange. There's a sign on the window, and it says, finders, keepers, the keys are in the car. And you're thinking, oh, come on. It's just like some, you know, w- weird reality show. They're trying to get my hopes up, and then like, ha-ha, or, you know, what is this? But no, you're like, okay, so I'm opening the door, and, but lo and behold, the keys are there, and the title to the car. And by the way, this is a Maserati. 
This is like a new Maserati, like, oh my goodness. In that moment, you're faced with a decision. Do I totally surrender my Pinto? (laughs) And take this car, or do I just surrender? Actually, you're going to surrender to something. Are you going to surrender the opportunity of the kingdom, or are you going to surrender your old life and say yes to God? That's really the option. But again, in that scenario, it's a no-brainer, right? Who wouldn't take the Maserati? You can only drive one car home, by the way. You only have one life. You only have one heart. Who are you going to give it to? Where are you going to place that? One life, one car to drive home. I'm taking the Maserati. I'm taking the kingdom. How about you? That's, that's the, the question you're faced with. But again, to go all in is a matter of total surrender. Not just degree, yeah, maybe a little bit more Jesus. No, it's, it's total, total surrender. Uh, I'll share, and, and I, I get it, this is hard. This can be so hard. Uh, I'll share how this began for me. So college freshman, had some church background, walked away from Jesus, was trying to figure life out. What do I believe? What kind of life do I want to live? I wanted to be happy. Christianity for, for years didn't seem like that was, the, that was the route to that. And so I was chasing all kinds of other things. But I came to a point where uh, through a whole series of circumstances, I was, I was saying, okay, this sounds totally crazy, but maybe the answer is God. I don't know, this seems absolutely crazy, but maybe it's God. So I'm going I'm to give this an honest shake. And if not, then I'm out. And if so, I'll, I'll go all in. And uh, so I started reading the Bible, started attending some campus uh, Christian meetings, and God just really started pursuing me. Like, uh, and I, really two things began to dawn on me. Two was, was the beauty of Jesus and his kingdom. I, uh, I just experienced so much love through the, the Christian students I, I got to know. And, and I'd walk into these wor- rooms of kids worshiping God, and I just like sense God's presence. It was just such a palpable sense of goodness. It was self-evident, like this is amazing. Um, but I wasn't sure I could go all in. That was the second realization. So the first realization was there's something really beautiful here. I'd read scripture. It's like words would pop out at me. I'm like, wow, this is like cutting my heart. And then on the other hand, there's this realization that if I really wanted this though, that that would, that would require total surrender. And I knew there were things in my life that would have to go, even though what was hard, I didn't want to let them go. <laughs> ever been there. <laughs> and, and so, and part of it for me was I, um, so in high school, some kids were good at sports. I was good at partying. I just was. I, I just was. So for me, I excelled at that. I um, turned that into an art form. And so like my whole identity was wrapped up into that. I mean, I lived a completely, I mean, I was that guy in the dorm. I was the guy. Somebody, they wanted to do something illegal. They came to me. They, that, that was just, I was that guy. And I'm not proud of that, but that was just me. And so, but you can imagine, uh, I, I, <laughs> I can't believe I just said this. Sorry, mom, you're finding this for the first time online. Uh, um, these things happen. <laughs> she says, I learned the most interesting things about you through your sermon. She said, I'd never do. <laughs> Anyways, you heard it here first. So, uh, anyway, so I knew I was facing this dilemma. There, there was something beautiful over here, yet on the other hand, there are things I didn't want to let go of. And so here's how surrender, total surrender started for me. And, and what I did was I was just became utterly honest with myself and with God. And that's the only way this is going to work, friends. Pretending, that's not surrender. That's giving God a mannequin. Say, oh, here's, here's, here's my church self, God. You know, No, he wants you. He wants your real self, your real heart. And so what I said, goes, honestly, I don't want you, but I want to want you. And I said, honestly, I want to not want this stuff. I, where I'm at right now, I want this stuff more, but I want to not want that. So would you help me out? Would you meet me in that? And what happened was, it's all like I just barely cracked open that door of surrender, and that was all it took for me. 
It wasn't instantaneous. I had some things to work through. I had slips and stumbles and falls. But God's grace and mercy met me in that because I just opened that door. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. You know, he's knocking. And sometimes, like, we think we, we opened, okay, open the front door, but what about, what, about that, what about that room in the back? Is that one locked? He, he, he will never come through the door you open for him. He comes through the door you keep unlocked. He says, actually, I went in there. <laughs> so some of us, we've surrendered, but we, we might even be realizing right now that actually it's maybe not total surrender. And he's saying, I want all of you. I want your entire life. I want your whole heart. Nothing less, nothing less works for life in the kingdom of God. And so that's really the f- second thing this means is total surrender. To go all in means total surrender. Now the third thing, and this is kind of a similar point, but just a different way of framing it. The third thing going all in means is to receive a new king. To receive a, a new king. So we, we're talking about the kingdom of God and that presupposes what? That there's a king, right? That there's a king, that Jesus is king. Now what you might not realize is that you actually have a kingdom, or a queendom. We, God has given us a, a range of our effective will, to use Dallas Willard's language. And so we all have kind of things that are under our, our domain, our dominion, our control, if you will. And, and so the invitation is to take ourselves off the throne of our lives and to receive a new king, to let our little kings be subsumed under his. It doesn't mean we still don't have uh, uh, you know, uh, authority. He's delegated to us and decisions to make. But it does mean we receive, receive uh, a, a new king. And, and I think just maybe to... To, to, to maybe make this more real for you. So what does this mean practically? So that means anytime there's a conflict between something else and Jesus, you always choose Jesus. Suppose uh, at work, uh, there's, there, there, there's, a, there, there, there's a dilemma you face between being liked and let's say maybe by publicly identifying as a Christian, uh, uh, you know, and you're worried about if I publicly identify as a Christian, somebody asks me, maybe I won't be liked. You always choose Jesus, even if there's a cost to maybe someone liking you. Or maybe there's a boss asking you to do something unethical. Rather, even though that's the easy thing, you always choose. In the case of a dilemma, you always choose Jesus. That's part of what it means to, to, to have receive a new king. If there's any tension between Jesus and anything else, you always choose Jesus. You always choose his kingdom. I once uh, heard Tim Keller share a story related to this, and he talked about an old Bible teacher he had named Barbara Boyd. And she used to say that... that he, I'm quoting him here. He said, she used to say, you have to have Jesus Christ as Lord because you can't just have part of him. You can't say, come in, Savior, and stay out, Lord. In the same way, you can't say, come in, Barbara, stay out, Boyd. She would say, I'm confused. I'm Barbara Boyd. Either all of me stays out or all of me comes in. You can't have it both ways. Same thing with Jesus. I think that's such a powerful uh, illustration. So the third facet of going all in is to receive a new king. Now, just to, to clarify, Jesus is not saying that you can earn the kingdom uh, through the thoroughness of your commitment. That is not the point. Uh, the only way that was earned is by what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection. But what he is saying, the only way to receive it is by going all in. So think of it like this. Suppose someone gives you a free uh, plane ticket to Hawaii. And so, uh, and by the way, that'd be a wonderful gift, right? That would be so awesome. Uh, someone gives you a, a free plane ticket. So in that case, it's not earned. It's not deserved. It's just a, it's just a free gift and, and a good one at that. But suppose you find yourself at John Wayne Airport, ticket in hand, again, free ticket. But in order to step into that reality, that wonderful, glorious vacation reality, there is something you have to do to receive that. What do you have to do? Well, you have to let go of anything in your pockets and anything on your person that is incompatible with life in the kingdom of John Wayne Airport. Right? 
Right, so uh, open water bottle, has to go. Uh, Switchblade in your pocket, definitely has to go. Uh, a bottle opener uh, in your carry-on actually has to go. I found that out uh, some, some time. Uh, lighter, all that stuff has to go. If you've traveled in recent years, you know the drill. Now, again, in that scenario, you're not meriting the trip, right? This is a free gift. On the other hand, there's something you still have to do to receive it and step into that reality. And so I, I hope that's, that's helpful. And I was proud of myself for thinking of that one, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> But again, there's something we are called to do. If we are to really step in to receive the reality of the kingdom, what that is, to go all, all in. And what's interesting, actually, there's another label, and that's kind of like the primary meaning of these parables. But there's kind of another layer of significance, because really this kind of points us and kind of reminds us of the life of Jesus. So think about these parables. Or actually, think about the story of salvation. So, so here, here was Jesus. He was on the throne. He was you know, in heaven. He had everything, perfect peace, all authority. And he came upon a treasure that was so valuable that that actually compelled him to get off the throne, to, to kind of get in the dirt and, and actually lay his life down for people who would spit in his face and, and mock him. Uh, he would be tortured and eventually it would cost him his life. Now, you, you've got to imagine that this treasure was extremely valuable that would compel him to do that. So what could, what could that possibly, possibly be? Well, what that is, that is you and that is me. <laughs> Hebrews 12 says that Jesus was the pioneer the perfecter of faith who, for the joy set before him, think of the parallel to the passages here, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, in other words, like laughing in its face, but then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and so we've been talking about treasure today, and the primary reference is, is to the king, but I also want you to not leave this place here without understanding is that the way Jesus Christ sees you is as a treasure of just of immense value and worth, so much so that Jesus laid down his life. He endured the cross for you that you might actually be able to enter into his kingdom to know a new life with God starting here. Now, it doesn't start when you die. It actually starts right here, right now. And anyone today can enter into that relationship with him. Man, why don't you come back up? So in light of what Jesus has done and in light of the surpassing worth of the kingdom, how could we not respond and go all in. I know it sounds like a high price, and it is, but as Thomas Kempis says, you can put the quote up, forsake everything, and you will find everything. I love that. Forsake everything looks like, uh uh-oh. No, you will find everything. That's the only way you find it, by the way. That is the invitation of these parables. And again, the, as we've talked about, the point of these parables is not to, to just give us information, say, oh, that was, a good, that was a good sermon or that was a good Bible study. No, it's actually to p- lead us to a point of decision, to lead us to a time, to a point of actual response. And so Jesus is asking every person in this room, will you respond? In light of my kingdom, what is your response? Will you kind of, again, there's the crowd listening to this and then there's the disciples. Will you stay in the crowd or will you say yes? Will you go all in and get on that path of discipleship, of following Jesus? Will you lay, lay your life before him so that you can know life in the kingdom of God? So have you seen the beauty of the kingdom? Are you captivated by its worth? If so, give all that you have to Jesus. Because as we sang earlier, he is worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. Amen. Let's, uh, let's turn our hearts uh, to God in prayer. Just close your eyes with me, if you would. And I want to make just space before communion just to kind of do business with God. And um, some of you here today, uh, I think the response that, 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 that God would, would lead you to is, is surrender. And, and for some of you, that might be the first time. You might hear 
Uh, this message about Jesus, say, I want that. I want life in the kingdom. I want to know life with God. I want to know Jesus Christ. And if that's where you are, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer of response. And you can simply say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. You'd say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And that's not all you want to say. That's just the start of a conversation. But if that's the desire of your heart, I encourage you, just, you can just be as simple as that. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And then during communion, our prayer ministers will be available, and, and I encourage you to speak with one of them. Let them know you prayed that prayer today, and they would love to pray for you and bless you in that journey. But for some of us, this is a time to re-up, <laughs> to re-surrender. And so this is a time we're going to take a moment in silent prayer where you can just do business with God. And uh, you might want to confess some things to him and ask for his forgiveness. He would love to just wash you with his mercy. And as you come forward today, let your coming forward to receive communion. Let that be a way of saying, Jesus, today I'm surrendering to you afresh. I give you my life afresh. So what what do you want to say to him right now? Let's take a moment in God's presence together. And then we'll continue in worship.